0: You're listening to The Rewilding Earth Podcast. The Rewilding Earth Podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia and Cthulhu, The Whedon Foundation, and listeners like you. If you love the work Rewilding is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're there.
1: This is John Davis of Rewilding Earth with my good friend and close colleague Jamie Phillips in Split Rock Wildway with another podcast as part of our Wildways and their Champions series. I'm going to ask Jamie, with whom I've been working for more than two decades, about what inspired him to get involved, and not just get involved in, but take a leadership role in helping protect and expand Split Rock Wildway, which is a wildlife corridor in the eastern Adirondacks, linking Lake Champlain and its valley with the high peaks to the west. Jamie and other colleagues and I have been working together for more than 20 years now to piece together this important wildlife corridor, very rich in wildlife, particularly in plant species. And... Jamie is with me right now on some land protected by Eddie Foundation. Jamie's the founder and president of Eddie Foundation. This is some land that he and his foundation have helped protect. So, so Jamie, welcome to the Wild Ways and Their Champions podcast series. Thank you for being here. Thank you even more for all the great land conservation work you've done through the years you've helped piece together more than 3,000 acres of protected lands. Most of those deals you've done yourself... And I want to hear a little bit, and our re- listeners want to hear a little bit about what inspires you to take a lead role here in Spit Rock Wildway and now increasingly also out in Southern California in Santa Margarita Wildway. What inspires you about these wild places, wild corridors?
0: So, yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel like there's anything in particular other than it's just. Damn compelling um, I, I think when when one looks at and I, I suppose when when I was contemplating um, what to do with um, some some assets i I had to manage uh, for my family trust um, the idea of, of putting it into Wall Street to me even as I started doing socially responsible investing it's still i really felt like part of the problem you know that we have in you know then in the 20th century now again in the 21st century just taking wild nature for granted and assuming it was always going to be there and yet as I spent time out in wild nature out in in older forests and so on um I mean that was so inspiring to me compared to anything that I would invest in in Wall Street. It just there was there was no comparison. If you look at the you know the interest I would get on a CD at a bank compared to the interest I got with the same amount of money buying a chunk of land. I mean it was like are you kidding? Um, so. And then looking at you know if if I think I identified land conservation as as really something that was inspiring to me and then and then what about that where would I where would I invest and I happened to uh, stumble upon John Davis at, at, at uh, a meeting and, uh, of conservation people and and we got to talking and, and John being you know, very knowledgeable relative to you know what was happening with conservation globally actually and John directed me up to the Adirondacks as a as a beautiful place to to look at investing and and um and then in in, in delving more into the Adirondacks and in, in you know spending more time with John, the idea of of corridors and wildways came came into focus, and, and how how important they were. Um, just in you know where land has been so usurped for human purposes, and and, and the needs of wildlife ignored, that corridors were indeed you know in a, in a way the low hanging fruit, the, the, the land that needed to be protected first and foremost. To sustain uh, wildlife, so th- then it became very apparent of course that's true and and that's that's where split Rock wildway um, started to you know um, come into focus for us and, and really take on a character of its own Jamie, you're extraordinary for your
1: generosity, and I don't know many other people who have been so generous with their wealth. Uh, To be perfectly blunt about it, your wealth is modest compared to that of many Americans, and yet you've given most of of it away. Most of your family's wealth has gone into conservation. That's rare, not just a tithe, but most, and that's very rare. I had the privilege, as you know, of working with Doug and Chris Tompkins for many years, and they are another uh, wealthy team, very powerful team that has helped protect more than 2 million acres in South America, and they likewise have given most of their wealth to conservation. What do you say when you're with peers, economic peers, about how you find satisfaction from investing your family's wealth in wildlife habitat conservation? How might you inspire others to similar levels of generosity?
0: So just backtrack a little bit on what you said you you mix to me the the terms being generous I never thought of myself as being generous in the least Um, and and I I certainly haven't felt I've been giving my money away it was definitely um, I held it as an investment but it's certainly a prudent a prudent investment Um, the idea you know I I may not be getting a you know a monthly check for um, a forest that i was able to 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 buy um, but i've always felt it was an investment in a sense that i that i i could some way get my money back from it it felt like a you know a long term investment it, you know back when i first started doing it it was you know the idea of you know selling carbon credits was always there the idea of you know if i bought 200 acres I could always parcel off 10 acres and sell that for a building lot but protect you know the other you know portion of it and I had the opportunity to work with a a land trust in California who who was doing that they were buying property and subdividing selling off a small portion but protecting the rest of it and breaking even or even making money on it so
1: for you it has been both philanthropy and sensible investing
0: but I, you know it isn't maybe now it looks more like philanthropy um and if, i think if i i'm just remembering even looking the word philanthropy up and i think it has to do with helping people out yeah,
1: it, it does,
0: actually. so i mean to me i'm i'm more thrilled about helping trees yeah. out than people this isn't, hasn't ever been about people
1: Right, as um, you know, Tom Butler and you and I all use that term, wildlands philanthropy. And Tom did that beautiful book called Wildlands Philanthropy, which, is, mm-hmm. in a way, it's an odd pairing of words because philos is love, and philanthropy comes from the term for humans, but it's, a, it's an accepted term these days, wildlands. Okay. Philanthropy. And you're you're damn good as a wildlands philanthropist, if I may say, say <laughs> so. So, so I, it seems like you're. It's a blend then, maybe, of... Maybe charity's not the right word, maybe philanthropy's not the right word, but it's a blend of doing good and actually managing assets well. Is that fair
0: to I, you, know, I, you? know, to me, it, it would be a, a, a prudent investment. Um, certainly one way of looking at it, but, you know, we could just call it a conservation investment. Mm-hmm. Um, more, more than conserva- more than uh, wildland's philanthropy. Um, it's wildland's investing. Mm-hmm um and you know the 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 payback that i get certainly is the potential for a future of, of 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 getting you know trading the forest land for an economic um amount but for right now i don't need the you know the 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 income from a forest and so it just feels like a wonderful thing to a depository if you will for Assets that, you know, I guess I learned, I earned from, 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 you know, working in, you know, the U.S. economy and that my, to a degree, my parents did as well, mostly from extractive endeavors, one way or another. So this is like a payback to me, not necessarily a payback, but it's, you know, uh, reappropriating money that has been earned, you know, in in this capitalist economy.
1: I might jump in here, Jamie, for listeners who don't know your background. You were a very successful fashion photographer in New York City, and your father did very well in business uh, selling. It was fences, fences, fencing. Is that he
0: right? he he originally owned a furniture factory in Michigan that he inherited from his father, and um, they 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 you know cut down a lot of white pines for furniture. Um, uh, But then he cut down many, many more um, cedar trees, I think, uh, in northern Minnesota for a a lot of stockade fencing. So I think he was probably one of the major Hmm. stockade fence distributors in the country.
1: So I think I remember you saying many, many years ago that to some degree you felt like your forest-saving efforts were... Doing a bit of penance
0: for the, <laughs> <laughs> I you know it, it yeah it does seem kind of obvious <laughs> that one could say that so yeah I won't won't deny that <laughs> although it wasn't you know a planned thing to you know for penance or repentance. <laughs> Jamie, I want you to say a little bit
1: about your good work in Southern California again with Eddie Foundation. Uh, particularly in Santa Margarita Wildway, and also say a little bit about your—and I guess I should say here our—because I'm lucky enough to serve on your board of directors. So I'll say our investments in conservation land in Dominican Republic. So Jamie, first, uh, Santa Marga- what is Santa Margarita Wildway, and what inspires you about it?
0: So I—I certainly think that um, the concept of Wildway to me is, in general, very compelling. It's something you can look at on a map. And you can just see pretty much a corridor, a pathway um, that animals can go from one kind of larger protected area to another, um, more or less connecting islands, if, if you will. Um, and, and somehow it seems, I've noticed humans, but m- me especially, I love walking on trails, you know, and it just seems a very natural thing to to pursue. So. You know, wildlife, same thing So look, looking at uh, When I Actually my parents bought a, um, Property down in Southern California And they bought which is <laughs> quickly they bought it on a uh, in, in a small Development Kind of out um, Kind of uh, Up off a river uh, The Santa Margarita River And when they bought the community It was called Edgewater But they they weren't really near they were maybe 15 minutes walk from the the river but so my father thought he was buying land on what was going to be a, a dammed reservoir from this river and and and, and evidently gosh uh, a Bell's Vireo or a bird that was at least uh, Bell's Vireo maybe okay yeah. perhaps yeah that, that was an endangered species and, and some of his prime habitat was Southern California so sure enough um the Endangered Species Act came into play, and they were not able to build the dam. Hence, Dad owned um, property up in the highlands, <laughs> way up above the river. But fortunately, the the the, um, uh, the town uh, the municipality had had to purchase all of this land along the river that was going to be flooded, um, and. And as as it turned out, the 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 um, river was a corridor that mountain lions had been using, um, you know, forever. I mean, it was uh, it was an intact corridor. Uh, and however, there just after Mom and Dad bought a house there in 1980, um, there was an interstate that was built that basically severed. Uh, went across the river and and really um, severed the the corridor for mountain lions, so there were bodies of mountain lions uh, that were isolated from each other, and they couldn't migrate back and forth. So in the um, the one island down in actually not far from Los Angeles, the Santa Ana Mountains have uh, a pride of, of lions there. and pride of, is the right word, but certainly a, a colony of of mountain lions that used to have to to mate, migrate over to the Palomar mountain range and beyond. So it was wow, it just got severed and there were some groups that were trying to monitor the the mountain lions that were trying to cross the freeway and they would be getting killed on this very busy freeway. So very, very, even more compelling to look at the importance of connectivity and Uh, And, and, uh, you know, using that term wild way um, that John and I think Tom and some others really have brought into the forefront. So,
1: yeah, actually a little background there just as an aside. I think I was the first to use the term wild way in public. Dave Foreman was the one who coined the term rewilding. And then we... Here in Split Rock Wildway, were as far as I know, anyone's any, anyway, the first to apply it to a specific place. So the first named wild Way in the country, I think, is Split Rock Wildway, and I, I think you and Tom Butler and Gary Randorf and I ag- agreed to start calling it that after you helped expand our vision. As you know, we until Eddie Foundation came along, we thought. We'd be protecting a wildlife corridor going from the lake to Coon Mountain, and we didn't dare think beyond that. And you helped expand our vision, and we've gone well beyond Coon Mountain, much yeah, and farther. And it was
0: originally about a mile yeah. a corridor at yeah, like so that. Yeah.
1: you've you've tripled our vision in a in a in two decades, which is wonderful.
0: Uh,
1: but the, back to the cougars, mountain lions, pumas—all the same big cat, of course, great cat do they have a it's I-15 Is it, do I remember that right Is yes, I-15 yes. is what really cuts their movement is there a safe crossing on I-15
0: for cougars now or when might no, there no, be no no not at all I, I think you know there's more and more conversation but it's been talked about for 20 years now um, but it's there's more and more talk um, the Nature Conservancy finally got on board and has, has purchased property on one side of the freeway um, the city of Temecula has property on the other side um, and the Pechanga Indians have also acquired property uh, Pechanga Indians amazingly wonderfully stepped up to the plate and bought a, 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 a vital piece of property that was slated to be strip mined Um they bought it at a very significant price from the mining company um, which very, very inspirational to see, you know, where, where not another conservation group or um, the county or the state was going to go to, you know, task with the mining company to buy it from them. But the Indians, no problem. Good for them. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very inspiring. That is is so is is their land one of the places where a cougar yeah, crossing yeah, might and it, go? And, mm-hmm. you know, to to have land on both sides yeah. of the freeway protected right. it, it makes it much more possible that the state would recognize that as an appropriate. Uh they wouldn't have to do much other than build a bridge. Right. Or, you know, either a tunnel under or a bridge over. And in this particular place right now there are some small, um, uh, not really tunnels, but, um... Small underpasses? Yeah, underpasses, but they're more like drainage ditches that are able to be utilized. Yeah. Um, but a a bridge, um, is now more viable. It's been done in other parts of the country, and certainly in Canada. Um, Mm -hmm. so that is... Likely going to come to pass. Hopefully sooner than later. And I'm, I'm hoping in the next five years we'd see that.
1: So is the, I suppose the obstacles, su- supposed lack of money on the part of the transportation department, or the? Well,
0: not lack of money, but lack of intention mm-hmm. to, to do. Um, California is not very progressive with how they spend their uh, uh, money for. Uh, transportation issues, very little public transportation that tends to just broaden freeways yeah. and so there 's fun there, funds there, but it 's not appropriated, I think, in a way that we 'd like to right see
1: it right so
0: I got you onto
1: the the cougar path quite appropriately, or actually you went on that without my Provocation. But uh, I do want to uh, let you say a little more about what Eddie Foundation is doing to help protect Santa Margarita River Wildway. It's a, I've had the pleasure of hiking many times there with Jamie, and we have seen fresh puma tracks, cougar tracks, several times in the sand along the river. Always thrilling. What is Eddie Foundation doing to help protect the Wildway?
0: So I think... Um... It's important to see there are a lot of of really good conservation groups in Southern California and San Diego county in particular um, I think it's as much for those groups to focus on common goals and work together to uh, to achieve that and and so I certainly have been um, as much as possible um, you know, entering conversations and bringing other people together to talk about how how can we accomplish this and and uh, one one way we're doing it is is not uh, we're, we're trying to, we're we're bringing humans into the equation too by let's okay well let's have a, a human trail uh, you know that is parallel to this the wildlife trail um, and that seems to be appealing partly because there's an economic Benefit to have uh, people hiking through small communities and so on, um, and and people enjoying and seeing uh, a passageway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is uh, that's one way that we're working together on uh, on, on trail systems, which. I think is, is rather viable, and that's partly with Fallbrook Land Conservancy. It's do Fallbrook, I remember? actually? Mm-hmm. It's Fallbrook Land Conservancy right now. We were fortunate enough to get a grant from the National Park Service to do, um, map out a potential uh, trail from uh, uh, really from from the ocean, from the town of Oceanside to um, some of the backcountry around Temecula. Um, and in that, we 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 got interested parties around a table together, and uh, um, the, the city of Temecula was certainly one, and they they have a very proactive town board, very conservation-minded, and um, the Sierra Club and International Mountain Biking Association, the Fallbrook Land Conservancy, San Diego State University, uh, and then other uh, uh, actually the uh, Wildlands Conservancy right now Mm. has just stepped up to the plate where we are and they um, they were able to buy the land that was slated to be flooded from the dam that Mm. had been not protected Mm. Uh, and it was just sitting, sitting there and um it could have been developed, but they recently stepped up to the plate and they have under contract I think they paid like ten ten million dollars for it. Um so they're at the table with us now Good. working Good. together. So what has Eddie done? Yeah, I think as much as anything, brought people together mm-hmm. to, to, to talk about it. And we've we've been able to identify pieces of land um that uh should be added to this 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 linkage, this corridor that would act as a buffer or widen it to a degree. Um,
1: yeah, so, very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, wonderful area. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Wildlands Conservancy. They are they not now the largest private conservation landowner
0: in the state of in California? California. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's impressive.
0: Yeah. Good people. They've done great work. Yeah. it's a privilege to to work with them.
1: I think Tom has a chapter. Tom Butler, I believe, has a chapter about their work in the Wildlands Philanthropy book. David Myers is David he the director? director? Yeah, right. Right. Great people. And say a little, if you would, about Eddie Foundation's involvement in Dominican Republic forest conservation and the Bicknell's thrush, which uh, I should note summers here in the Adirondack High Peaks, among other places.
0: Right. So, um, I have to think back. That goes back a ways. Oh, yeah, I'm recalling I was on, on the board of the Adirondack Council, another significant player here in the Adirondacks. Um, and they um, they got involved in um, mitigation funds that were set aside by uh, uh, DEC here um, because DEC cleared for a ski slope Bicknell's thrush habitat. In uh, Bicknows- Whiteface Mountain. Yep. Okay, Bicknell's thrush is is. Uh, Uh, I guess they're just a threatened species and endangered, but certainly habitat that needed to be mitigated. So they set aside funds for mitigation to buy land that would be suitable habitat to replace what they destroyed. Um, But in looking at the Adirondack Mountains, there actually is a lot of suitable habitat that was already protected. Um, And in, in doing more research, it's like, but why is the bird in demise? And as it turns out, Bic thrush is a migrating bird, and it migrates in the winter down to a very small area in the Caribbean into in, uh, in the Dominican Republic uh, mainly, and then also a little bit in Puerto Rico, a little bit in Cuba, but for the most part, Dominican Republic. And uh, so I was interested in perhaps... I was just actually inspired by the bird and looking at its corridor that it flew down, you know, every winter, Um, and uh, uh, so I thought, gosh, maybe that would be a great, a good place for us to explore um, as a a piece of conservation land to help protect that effort to uh, protect the bird. So, yeah, actually. John, you and I mm-hmm. went down there yep. early on in yep. our exploration and yep. we were we had been working with the Nature Conservancy down there but ended up working with a couple of, of kind of wildland philanthropists of the Dominican Republic their mm-hmm. father um, <laughs> um, the, the Marinos um, they have an ice cream franchise they're mm-hmm. like the Ben and Jerry's of the Dominican <laughs> Republic but they their father started the first private reserve in Dominican Republic and um, uh, so we connected with them and identified some land that might indeed be big thrush habitat that we could invest in with them, and um, inspire other conservationists down there to do this a similar thing. And we, when we felt we could work with the local community and buy a piece of degraded land and and, and reforest it or, or uh, work with the land so it could be uh, um, uh, protected as Bicknell thrush habitat, but at the same time give employment to the community. So we ended up buying a thousand acres and half of it was already forest land, some older, older trees, but uh, all of it was in the process perhaps of being cleared for cow pasture. Mm-hmm. A lot of it had been, but we were able to, to, to buy it and, and, uh, work with the community uh, and with a, a really good man who, who was very interested in chocolate. Mm. So as, as it turned out, as you plant shade-grown chocolate plantations, if you will, they're very friendly to Bicknell's thrush habitat mm. for Bicknell's thrush um, habitation for winter, mm-hmm. particularly the females. Huh. Um, and. So it's been a very inspiring thing. We've gotten a lot of chocolate to eat, which maybe that's the interest we've gotten for that investment. So chocolate, ice cream, and a beautiful songbird. You can't top that. I know. It's pretty hard to
1: go wrong. (laughs) Jamie, you and I have both remarked through the years how we sometimes feel a little bit uh, like the conservation gatherings around us, and we attend many here in the Adirondack Park and throughout the country are largely peopled by folks our age and older. And nothing wrong with that. The senior citizens are some of our most important conservation leaders. And people 50 and older, as we are, are conservation leaders throughout the world. But we certainly want to see ourselves replaced by young generations of wilderness and wildlife proponents. I actually think we're seeing that more now than we were 10 years ago. And I'm encouraged to see young people in Leadership positions at wilderness groups, and especially young women at leadership positions with conservation groups. Really good trend, I think. But say more, if you would, Jamie, about involving young people, working with young people, because you've always been really um, far-seeing on this issue, more than many of us.
0: One thing I look at, um, which is obvious to me, uh, in the, a lot of the conservation groups, the land trusts and so on, um uh, they're run largely by their board board of directors, and interestingly, uh, the boards you know from the way boards were years ago and still are to a degree. It's often people that have have money are invited to be on boards, um, and or, or you know maybe accomplished scientists or people that have done well in business. Um, very few young people on boards, and you know, and, and I think that is something that is, needs to be addressed, that we don't necessarily have have to have people on a board of directors that are accomplished people in whatever field, but I think people that, you know, young people especially, they have the potential for um, really applying their passions, even though they they don't necessarily come from wealth or have accumulated wealth. I think just their energy and uh, and enthusiasm, we need on on those boards, I think as well. You know, shifting a little bit um, that has been a little bit controversial. A lot of people don't want uh, mountain bikes um, on trails. One thing that we've learned, certainly in Southern California, is to share the trails. Um, you know, so. A lot of the funding, certainly state funding for trails and uh, even the National Park Service where they help fund um, for trails, it's, it's multi-use. It, it is, we need to learn that uh, people that ride horses are awesome, I mean sometimes very, very good conservationists and yes, horses can impact a trail, so can mountain bikes and yet I I think that we can't alienate each other in the conservation community we need to respect the values even that hunters and fishermen have Um, because many of us that are good conservationists we don't need to alienate each other but the youth I think especially let's let's accept that they do like to be a little more active on trails Um, and they're apt to um, gosh i think you know we 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 look at um moonlight hikes that we have sometimes and um something that i see popular and interesting in in california where marijuana has been legalized um they have um ganja yoga you know that all all the young people go to and it's like yoga class but they actually Smoke pot, you know, in a in a way just to focus on their yoga. That's very youthful, you know. It's not old people doing that particularly. I think you know, even to allow, you know, what's wrong with a ganja hike, and we would get young people also involved. That's not because of our our older people's values. Let's realize young people have different values, um, very often. So I think we need to broaden our our perspective on who we include in our conservation community.
1: Well said. Now I want to take you to the other end of life, to death, Uh-oh. and to your very exciting opening of a green cemetery, where I hope to be grave digger. Spirit Sanctuary, you've named it, and you went through quite a bit of paperwork, quite a bit of time to get the permits needed to start a green cemetery here in the Eastern Adirondacks, and. Well, we've not buried anybody there yet. We've dug
0: a sample grave. I like to joke I've dug my own grave. <laughs> I
1: dug it. and
0: I conveniently remind you, you did lose that grave. Well, I think there wasn't it. a very strong intention was, to be uh, buried there. It's
1: covered up now, so I guess I'll have to <laughs> dig my own grave yet again. But we're hoping, of course, to to popularize the green burial movement and use it as a tool for land conservation. You were really... Way ahead of most of us again on this subject. So, say something about why you spent a lot of time figuring out how to start a green cemetery and what we hope to do with it.
0: Well, in in retrospect, I mean, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, people don't, in general, do not like to talk about death. Um, and certainly cemeteries is not, you know, to be, to be a grave digger or a funeral director. There's those are not occupations held in very high esteem generally. Um, but I have to laugh at that because um, I, I think they are wonderful. Um, oh, uh, avenues to, to 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 talk about and. It really transform our attitudes. I think that is, you know, the funeral business, you know, there, I'm, there are some really good funeral directors and funeral homes, if you will, but in general that business has been corrupted to a large degree to uh, um, where, where death has become big business for um, um, a lot of people, and it's something that uh, is a difficult time in life, and, and it's gotten more so um for people and i think with um what i was just looking for a place for me to be buried i think in a way that i could not imagine being um you know put in a a a a barren lawn you know landscaped Place that was not friendly to it wasn't nice to go to, um, and the idea of cremation—it's uh, like right. We need to, you know, use 30 gallons of propane to burn a body to put a lot of pollution in the air, and I'm, you know, it's something we just haven't paid much attention. With climate change, climate chaos, if you will, uh, we need to pay attention to what we're putting into the air to what fossil fuels were burning for what It's no brainer for me of course putting some a body in the ground is a natural way to um, help a landscape to 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 you know revitalize the soil I love the idea of being buried in a place and and a a, a tree planted over my grave and um, you know have you know feel I'm totally a part of that landscape that I really came from um.
1: so for those of us who have decided we indeed want to be buried at spirit sanctuary here in Spit Rock Wild Way what do we do
0: how do we get in besides dying yeah, that's a prerequisite for sure. But no, actually, you you can get in before you die. In fact, we that's we we, we encourage that. Um, you get in by uh, we we've tried to make it as economical as can be, and um, uh, so we we'd be Eddie Foundation was able to contribute the land for the cemetery, which I think every land trust should be involved in doing, um, and. Um, we are, have decided, you know, let's just try and at least break even. We'll make a bit of money on this, um, so we're charging a thousand dollars to 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 have the right to be buried there. But in addition to that, one has to, in, in their end of life plan, in their will um, or their trust, they, they need to include a conservation group in um, in their estate. Um, in their estate planning, so when when they die, at least in our conversation if you're going to be buried at spirit sanctuary, let's think about you know conservation in general and um, uh and we have deliberately included to you know as a prerequisite for being buried there that you do have to think about conservation and act on it in in your end of life estate
1: that's good so So we will actually, Eddie Foundation will actually charge, or Spirit Sanctuary will actually charge less money than a conventional burial. But with the understanding that the family of the loved one, departed loved one, will have, or that person, him or herself, will have committed uh, to donate to a conservation group. And I think we're going to be working particularly with Northeast Wilderness Trust, Champlain Area Trails, and Adirondack Council, and the Rewilding Institute, and the Old Growth Forest Network, and a few others, uh, but we're saying, correct me if I'm wrong. We're saying you can choose your conservation group, but here's a list of ones we especially recommend. Is that
0: what we have in mind? Um, I I think I would also turn it over to them to see what, what groups they have already worked with that they would be inspired to work with. You know, uh, certainly if any if anybody's lacking suggestions, those you know that you mentioned are would be very appropriate. I think that is also a wonderful way um, for other land trusts mm-hmm. to acquire land and maybe, you know, uh, still you can double the price of what we charge. I, and, and I think though, that we, we've, we've looked at it, more of a typical charge is like $3,500. So if one has not already included a conservation group uh, uh, and they still... You know, if someone dies, the family wants them to be buried at Spirit Sanctuary, it will cost $3,500. Um, if they've not. If they haven't already included uh, a conservation group in their will. Um, and that's more in line with what other green cemeteries charge, and very often green cemeteries are um, uh, using those funds to acquire more conservation land. Um, so, indeed, if somebody pays 3500 to Spirit Sanctuary, um, Likely that will go to expand the cemetery, and our cemetery is beautiful. I mean, it's going—you know—it's a recovering, uh, a recovering pasture land that will um, become a clay plain forest again, as it as it um, as it would turn out. And so, I think it's important that 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 we realize it is a great tool for other conser- conservation groups to buy and protect more. Uh, more wildlands. Yes,
1: absolutely, and by the time this podcast airs, we probably will have run in Rewilding Earth uh, an article about green cemeteries, focusing largely on Spirit Sanctuary. So, by the time you're hearing this, listeners, if you go to Rewilding.org, you'll probably find an article about the green cemetery movement and about Spirit Sanctuary. Thank you for the the special conversation and the the Pilea woodpecker in our background and the other birds and. Please, folks, keep following our Wild Ways and their Champions podcast series. And also, please keep reading Rewilding Earth, which, as always, is up at rewilding.org. And we thank our sponsors in
0: particular. So long for now. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Be sure to visit rewilding.org to subscribe so you don't miss past and future episodes. And while you're there, please consider supporting Rewilding by making a donation or subscribing to the Rewilding Earth newsletter.